Kelsey. And it's time to hate watch with us. Welcome. Welcome. It's episode one of what is going to be a pretty badass thing that we're going to do for more than one episode. TBD. TBD. TBD many episodes, y'all. Uh, so Kelsey, um, why don't we start with, well, what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with who we are or what is hate watch? We can start with who we are real quick. All right. So I'm Kirsty. Um, I'm basically Leslie Nope, and I uh, hate movies, watch television, and do other stuff too. That sounds about right. I'm Kelsey. I don't want to say I'm Ann Perkins, but I'm a little bit Ann Perkins. Definitely the Ann to my Leslie. It's true. I work in social media, so I do a lot of that stuff. I also love TV movies more than Kirsty, but not that much, and general media theory is my jam. Kelsey and I actually went to college together and we both studied media theory. Uh, She spends a little bit more time than I do using that in her day-to-day life, um, except every once in a while. So I work in government um, and every once in a while I drop some media knowledge on my government friends. She's the academic here. It's true. So yeah, so that's us in a nutshell. And I guess for the sake of our listening audience, it'd be helpful to define what Hey Watch with us is about. I think it would. So, Kelsey, tell me what hate watch means to you. So, I'm a little bit snarky, and I like to watch things ironically. So, hate watch for me, in its media sense, is when I'm watching a show that I kind of hate, but kind of enjoy hating at the same time, and I can make a good amount of, like, snarky commentary about it. I think that's, like, the basis of this, but hate watch can definitely go beyond watching media things to just, like hate watching an experience that you're dealing with in your life yeah i feel like that's an important an important thing that we've really bonded over in the last couple months as we've thought about putting this together um for me hate watching is a lot about i get like this feels like a cop-out but kind of giving yourself an excuse to love something that you really shouldn't love by all rights so for example i've started watching this season of the bachelor which is uh nick's season um And mostly I'm doing it because I read a bunch of BuzzFeed articles about how awful Corinne is. And deep inside of my soul, The Bachelor ruins everything about the world for me. But I'm getting some kind of twisted enjoyment out of understanding, like, the landscape of the fandom because it's deep. Um, So anyway, I guess, like, in a nutshell, it's that feeling of getting to do it ironically, but also getting to feel joy for liking this thing that you're not supposed to like. The same can be said for Game of Thrones. More on that to come. Yes. It also helps you watch something that you wouldn't be interested in, so you're still informed, but you have a little bit of an elitist feeling about it, and I'm not upset to feel that way, I guess. Yeah, it always feels good to, like, have a superiority complex about something. We both have that. That's why we're such good friends. It's true. (laughs) Um, and then to your point, it's a lot of the show is not only going to be what's on TV or what's in the theaters or literal watching in spite of the word hate watch in the name. Um, sometimes I hate watch my way through life. So I hate watch a lot of days in the office um, and I hate watch a lot of my own feelings, which is a segment that will be appearing. Fret not, my friends. You're all in for a treat. <laughs> many treats, many sagas. So, do we feel like we have a good feeling about the definition of hate-watching? I mean, only time will tell. So, in preparation for this podcast, which has been in development for a really long time, we developed a project that we called Pilot Palooza. So, Kelsey, run us through some of the history of Pilot Palooza. So, Pilot Palooza kind of came to us because we listened to a lot of other podcasts about television and there's only so many hours in the day to watch television because we're not tv critics so we don't have an excuse it's very sad um but we were thinking about how we could experience a lot of the shows that we haven't seen yet and see you know dip our toes in the water and see what we liked and what we didn't like so we came up with the idea of pilot palooza this was a marathon of watching pilots of a bunch of different shows that we'd heard about and hadn't seen yet. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the structure here, Kirsty? Yeah, so we actually had a very formal process, and it was carried out by a third party um, so that there was some refereeing involved. So basically what happened was we had a hat, a literal hat, 
And Kelsey and I wrote down about 10 TV shows each. The criteria for eligibility was that it had to be a show that one of the podcasts that we listened to or more had talked about in the last year. So the show didn't necessarily have to air in 2016, but it had to sort of hit the podcast circuit in 2016. It also had to be a show that neither of us had seen before, which was a little tricky, but not as hard as I thought it would have been, actually. Yeah, the hardest part was that there were... We each had like one show that we had jumped ahead on. Um, we typically try to stay in sync with our media consumption, but we had both gotten a little punchy. Um, so that rolled out shows that we had originally wanted to save for this project. Like Kirstie had refused to watch The Americans. Yeah. Yeah. I've been blaming that on platform issues, but Kelsey keeps calling me out on it. I do. Amazon Prime is just really hard, guys. It's not that hard. It's really like, it's just really hard. So after we wrote down our 10 shows, um, it was super secretive. We weren't allowed to see. That's where the third person came in. Um, So we folded them up, put them in the hat. Third person held the hat. um, And we each took turns drawing the show that we would watch. So we drew one at a time. We drew six total? I think so. Yes. And we would draw one, find it, and watch it before we drew the next one. So it was kind of a fun exercise. And we got to watch a lot of shows that we maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Oh, absolutely. And a few that we definitely should have. (laughs) Yep. I'm super picky, and I absolutely have choice paralysis. So when it comes time for me to get into a new series, I really struggle. Uh, So one of the things that was super valuable about this project was that it forced me to sit down and watch things that I had heard about and was like, oh, that sounds vaguely interesting, but would never have like been motivated enough to watch on my own. It's because we both just watch Parks and Rec over and over again, and we don't know what to watch. It's true. It's really hard to break out of that cycle. Um, The other thing that I found really interesting about this project is I have only ever watched pilots in the context of watching a whole season. So usually when I start a show... I will power through the first five to ten episodes because the first season is always hard in any TV show. Um, It's when they're setting up premise. It's when they're introducing characters. And so my goal in powering through is to get past the part where it's slow and get to the part where I'm invested. Right. So with this podcast project, not podcast, um, we really had to just take it for what it's worth, the pilot. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of a fun and terrible exercise to see like what had legs and what didn't after that first episode and I have to say I found it exhausting I it not even like physically exhausting I found it emotionally exhausting because during the pilot of any show I feel like I'm doing a lot of thought exercises to try to assume where things are going and what information is going to be important a season or two down the road and so to just sort of cycle through beginnings constantly like I'm assuming it's what it must be like to go on first dates all the time probably we don't really know what that's like we don't um cool so Kelsey why don't you walk us through uh what we're looking at in our hands right now all right so the other piece of this process for Pilot Palooza was we only had one index card per show to write notes on just to keep us from writing down every single thing that popped into our minds. Oh, God, your cat's here. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording in my apartment right now in uh, pillow forts, and I think our cat just, or my cat, just discovered the pillow forts. Yep, that happened. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, so do you want me to dive in with the very first one? Yeah. Okay. So the first card that we drew was The Great British Bake Off. This is a show. F- from BBC that was available to us really sketchily via YouTube. We watched the first season of the UK version, which apparently is different than the US takeover of it, but it was definitely the first UK season. It was pretty um, interesting. Do you want to tell me some of your thoughts about this episode? So for, for example, one of the notes that I took says, American cooking show, Gordon Ramsay nuking Guy Fieri riding an eagle. British cooking show, education, religion. Yes, that's about right. And then underneath I wrote, yes, let's explore the history of cake. (laughs) And then it quotes, it says, it's sexy bread. Yeah, it is. I feel like that's a pretty good, like, summary. I think so. The thing that struck me the most as this this pilot began is, um, what are their names? Mary and Sue? Mel and Sue. Mel and Sue. My bad. 
um, Mel and Sue sort of walk into the tent. So there's this drone footage of them standing in front of the tent. They say a couple words about the show. And then the next shot is Mel and Sue walking into the tent. And they just sort of say, you know, here's the signature challenge, bake. So there's literally no setup for this show whatsoever. And it was the weirdest experience watching it because we had no idea what my literal note is why are there no parameters like we had no idea what was happening they just kind of dive into it there's an interesting little intro that i said looks like the house of cards intro but quaint um it also had some interesting font choices i hope those get resolved eventually because it was like papyrus all up in there and then after 13 minutes i wrote just figured out the premise so that gives you a little idea of what was happening there that's really funny because at 13 minutes, I wrote, sure, blame Puritans for everything. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to run through what exactly happened-ish on this episode? Uh, let me flip to my Wikipedia page. So in this episode, it was all cake-themed. So the signature bake was, um, you know, bake your signature cake. So uh, basically, in case you don't know, premise of Great British Bake Off is there's three bakes. The signature, the technical, and the showstopper. Signature, bakers get to make whatever they're good at within the category of the episode. Technical, all the bakers get the same recipe with certain elements left out, and it's a test to see who is most likely to execute that bake successfully. And then the showstopper is um, like a slightly more specific category than the signature but it has to be like super fancy so in the cake episode it's like a celebration cake so multi-tiered cake with crazy decorations um so this episode was all about cakes they made a bunch of crazy cakes the technical was the victoria sponge which i have a lot of questions about not being a british person and then the showstopper was celebration cakes and we got a history lesson about uh some queen's fancy wedding cake right and the other thing about this show that i didn't know was that it's just amateur bakers, so I have notes like, look at those blue-collar bakers. <laughs> and sad little blue-collar Charlie Brown man. <laughs> In terms of timestamp, that probably lines up with my note that just says, poor bus driver. <laughs> that sounds about right. I also wrote right after that, I like the bay window in the tent. I do like that bay window. I also had some Leslie Nope feelings watching this. Um, I wrote Mary Berry is old Leslie Nope. Mm. And I also had a comment that this show is Leslie Nope's America. Um, I wrote that down too. By that, I mean, it's very nice and wonderful and everyone loves everyone and everyone's supportive. And it's just a really great experience to watch this show. And it makes you feel things that you're not supposed to feel. Yeah, I came out of that experience not wanting to watch anything else because I literally felt like warm inside like my heart felt full yeah but such as pilot palooza we had to move on and as such let's move on to our second pilot our second pilot was Atlanta right so Atlanta is Donald Glover's show is that his name yep so he has a show on FX um all of our podcasts have talked about it forever. I didn't really, I guess, understand the premise because I know he's like a comedian, but it was also serious. And it was one of those like FX shows that sort of bridges those two genres of like a com- comedy and drama. So my first note was, this is a weird transition from Great British Bake Off. Yep. Where are the baked goods at? <laughs> <laughs> it's worth noting that the cold open of Atlanta um, involves a shootout in a convenience store parking lot. So that's definitely a shock to the system when you're coming from like, you know, 12 British people baking Victoria sponges in a tent at a castle. Right. But the other thing that was surprising about Atlanta was I was laughing all of a sudden and I didn't know why. Like there were very surprising, funny moments. Yeah, I have a note that says such sneaky humor, sneaky laughs. I have the funniest distracting. Why is it funny? And then right underneath I wrote, did we just talk about poop? I also have... In all caps, Chad Michael Murray? Me too. Why? I don't know. (laughs) So this is the problem with doing a recap two months later. Uh, There's a lot of lessons learned and there's a lot of scenes forgotten. So take that for what it's worth, Chad Michael Murray. I also wrote the saddest Nutella sandwich ever dash existentialism. (laughs) Uh, Which I think, if we want to really bring this full circle, just speaks to the sneaky humor. That's true. So how did you feel about this show? 
once you were done with it? Like, did you want to watch more or were you kind of all set? I definitely want to watch more. One of the things I wrote at the very end of the episode was TV episode structure on fleek. Um, So I definitely appreciated the show's use of format. And I think, you know, I I feel like the general premise is that it's about a guy trying to make it as an amateur rapper in Atlanta. So it's equal parts of character story, a place story, and then like this actual plot around trying to become a rapper. And so, uh, you know, I'm a white woman living in Vermont and uh, my life is very different than someone trying to become a rapper in Atlanta. So there's definitely some like subculture stuff going on. And I think it's just it's a presentation that I definitely want to get deeper into Um, where I struggle a little bit as a consumer of media is that um, because it is so sophisticated and it does make you feel things, it's a little bit of an investment and I am not disciplined enough to really sit down and get into investment shows all the time. So when I ranked this, so part of pilot Palooza was ranking the shows in terms of like how we would do this in the, or what we would continue watching, which we'll talk more about at the end. Um, this, I have a note that says mid-range. I had it as number three out of six, so I'm right there with you. I really liked the aesthetic of the show, which is kind of douchey sounding, but um, I liked how it was shot. There was a lot of color things happening, and it had that like FX quality. FX kind of has a soft spot for me. Um, they don't make things that I hate very often, so... I would definitely watch more of it, but that being said, it's two months later and I haven't watched it. Yeah, which to the point that we made at the beginning of Pilot Palooza is that it's hard to find time to consume all the media you want. So I feel like there's something to be said for keeping it on the short list. Yeah, and now we're informed enough that when people talk about it, we know what it is. Exactly. Cool. So moving on to our third show, this was came into the hat because I think of shout out Matt Zoller's sites. <laughs> um, I think he was the one talking about it. Maybe I'm wrong, but it was Happy Endings. This is a show from maybe 10 years ago, give or take. Um, it's a pretty standard, like, Friends-ish comedy that came after Friends. Um, I don't know what network it was on. I know it was canceled early. That's what I've heard. So do you remember anything about Happy Endings? So Happy Endings starts with a wedding, uh, which prompted me to write the note, TV weddings are literally the worst. And let me just take a fucking detour. TV weddings are the fucking worst. Wait, stop. Hold your horses. (sighs) Tell me that Leslie and Ben's wedding is the worst. I feel like that's going to need to be like an actual segment because I could actually speak at length about their wedding. Here's the thing. Because of all of my feelings and all of the things I feel about Leslie and Ben, it was not the worst. But it had all of the trademarks of all of the things I hate about TV weddings. Sure. I'm going to let you have this. You can let me have that. We will t- write it down. We will come back to that. I'm writing it down. So anyway, happy ending starts with a wedding. Um... Basically, there's like a runaway bride situation. She dumps the guy at the altar. And then the rest of the episode is sort of them fighting. The issue is that they have a shared group of friends and they've been friends forever. It's sort of like Friends, the 90s sitcom, in the sense that they're only friends with each other. And so now this couple is broken up and having this fight about their wedding. And the friends are torn trying to figure out like how they're going to maintain their relationships. Uh, The episode ends with them in a diner sort of living happily ever after, or so we assume. It was a pretty buttoned-up pilot. I don't know that it was, like, super compelling, but it was buttoned up. Yeah, my note at the end of the episode says, big, fat, meh. Yeah, I said, oh, it's almost promising. (laughs) Um, There was a point in the beginning where the guy who was left at the altar was just, like, rolling around in blankets and having gin smoothies, and that part I was really here for. Yeah, no, that's, like, literally the story of my life, guys. That's how I want to live my life. I also have a note, TBD, on which one is Ted. This is pretty much, like, how I met your mother, as well as friends, like, kind of merged. So I think if you like those shows, maybe you'd like it. Maybe you wouldn't. It was just kind of middle of the road for me. Yeah. Some other notes that I have that may inform your decision. It's three bullet points in a row that say, oh, millennial humor. Oh, heteronormative humor. Oh, fat humor. That's basically happy endings, guys. Um, In terms of ranking, which we'll run over the final ranking in the end, but this was my last show, Will Not Watch Again. Wow. Yeah, full stop. I think it was number four for me, so I didn't hate it as much as you hated it. I really, really hated it. I knew. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was a struggle. We all had those. We do. All right. So number four, I know we have differing feelings on. We watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on the CW. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a musical comedy, which is definitely probably not my cup of tea, but very much Kirstie's cup of tea. Especially because there's some amount of this that's predicated on being a spoof of musicals as a genre. And if you think about the complexity of trying to take musicals, satire, and squeeze it into a half-hour sitcom with indefinite seasons, like that is a sophisticated undertaking. You're right. You're not wrong. I just have so much appreciation for that use of structure and format. I feel like it's hard, regardless of your feelings about actually watching it, it's hard to look at this objectively and say that there's not value to what they were attempting to do. There's definitely value. There's a certain type of person who will gravitate towards it, and there's a certain type of person who will like be horrified by it. And on that, I have a quote, which is from the lead character that says, this is just objectively fantastic, which I feel like sums up my argument. That's fair. Um, I have a note that says, this is a nightmare. <laughs> this is... The duality of Kelsey, Kelsey and Kirstie in a nutshell. I just called this Kelsey. That's our new relationship name. That's our new celebrity relationship name. Um, I also identified a Mark Brandanowitz in this episode. Sad friend zone bartender was Mark Brandanowitz, so mm-hmm. sorry guys. Yeah, I mostly just have repeating notes about how she has my dream hair and I don't. Does she? She does. She has my dream haircut. What's that? You know, like the little perfect bob. It's just like a nice little bob. Oh, all right. Yeah. So do we have any other thoughts about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or just? Um, I mean, I think, as Kelsey said, if you're a musical person, this is right up your alley. There's some really great self-reflexive comedy. Um, you know, there's a scene where she throws off her jacket in the middle of a musical number and an extra comes and picks it up and carries it off screen, which I just thought was hilarious. Um, there's a few really spectacular costume changes. Uh, and one thing that I like in terms of the use of format is that because it's TV and because they can cut and re-record and do all the magical things that you can do on a set, they're able to do some things that stage musicals and stage productions have always wanted to do, but just logistically can't. Um, so it's fun to see that adapted and like made bigger and better. And I think I always appreciate, I know Linda Holmes from Pop Culture Happy Hour has said this about stage productions being adapted for television or movies, but I appreciate the idea of taking that format to a bigger, more mainstream audience. Yeah, I think I'm a little surprised it's done as well as it has, so obviously there's an appetite for it. And you are right, like there's a lot happening there in terms of like bringing this format to a network, kind of network, do we consider CW Network? Um, Close enough. Close enough. Uh, Platform, I don't know if I could sit through like multiple musical numbers on a weekly basis, but it was still funny. I still did find myself laughing. I would just like the premise of the story without the musical portion. See, I don't know that I fully agree with that because I think there's a level of absurdity to the story that only works because the entire premise is so fucking absurd. Yeah. I kind of feel that way about Jane the Virgin, too, as you, you know, watch the entire series. There's so many things that are so absurd, but the show never really asks you about, like, your suspended disbelief. It just assumes that you've, like, checked it at the door. Is there something to be said that these are both CW shows? Oh... Probably. Is that a thing that they're playing with now? It could be. I mean, they have obviously a very specific demo that they reach, but it's interesting that both of these shows that are definitely playing in that like absurdist and messing with format type of um, content. I don't, that was a sentence. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Such grammar. You know, but there's something to be said that they're both on that network and they're obviously seeing success with both of them. That's really interesting. One thing that I actually just thought of as you were saying that is they're both shows that um, really get off on use of color. And so they're creating this aesthetic that's really sunny and really sunshiny and super feminine and super happy. Uh, One thing that I think is interesting though, is I think Jane the Virgin actually means it in terms of aesthetic and crazy ex-girlfriend is so dry and so ironic and, there's such an undercurrent of like bitterness because of everything that the lead character is going through that I think that they use that happy looking aesthetic to 
like try to prove just how angry and obnoxious she is. They're using their aesthetic to hate watch themselves. It's true. So do you think like when La La Land comes out, they're just going to play that on loop on the CW? It definitely fits into their new aesthetic value, I guess. But I mean, I'm here for them replacing any of their like weird teen fantasy shows anytime. So that's fine. All right. What did we have next? We watched Insecure on HBO. This was the one I took the least amount of notes on. Me too. And I'm not sure if that's just because uh, we had done all of these in the same night, and so I felt like I was done writing my thoughts, or if it's because I just found the show that engrossing. Really? Tell me more. I was super into this. I feel like, in general, I'm just here for stories about women. I think it's great anytime a female comedian is walking into a room and trying to be like, this is what lady humor is like, I guess. That wasn't a terribly articulate argument, but I feel like you know what I'm getting at. So there's a lot in this pilot that's about her self-image, her feelings about being the only Black woman working in a nonprofit serving poor Black children. Um, And there's a lot about her friendships and her relationship. And it's different aspects of her life that I don't necessarily relate to personally, but I relate to parts of it. And I also just appreciate that it's spending so much time breaking apart all those different relationships and the different ways that she is having to navigate that. So I had some, I guess, I have issues with HBO programming for the most part. I find that a lot of their shows are just very like self-aware and self-important. So when you're watching something on HBO, you know that they think that this is the most compelling and artistic and wonderful thing they've ever given you. And that usually sort of bothers me like that I felt watching Insecure the same way I felt when I watched Girls which was the it was just very like I don't want to say self-absorbed but something about it just rubbed me the wrong way I don't necessarily love like gratuitous vulgarity and I feel like that was part of it for sure I feel like they were trying to be edgy just to be edgy and that part really just didn't work for me so that was my biggest issue with it I didn't really nothing hooked it for me I didn't have anything there that I could grab onto to watch more episodes. I definitely see that. Um, I sort of chalked it up to being pilot syndrome. I mean, it's partially HBO syndrome where you're right, like HBO is trying to put forward the edgiest, most artistic thing ever. But I think there is also a thing with pilots in particular where they're like, you know, we really need to prove what our voice is. So we're just going to do all of it at one time. You know, like the pilot of girls opens with like people having sex. Right. Um, and it's it's typically things that quiet down over the course of the show because they're not relying on it to bring the shock value because eventually they develop plot. But I definitely see that and appreciate that. I also just feel like there's so many shows like this right now. Like, I know like we've talked about or I've heard about more than talked about, like Louis really started that. But like the Pamela Adlon show is the same basic thing louis is the same basic thing obviously there's girls there's this there i mean atlanta had a little bit of that too they're just all like how many times can i see a comedian doing like a a show about themselves basically yeah i feel like there's some amount to which so much of like true to format television is aspirational and i feel like this comedian tv show about themselves thing has come from people wanting to see something more genuine on TV. And like, say what you will about whether or not it's presenting a genuine vision of life and relationships. But I think that there is a desire to do something that feels more real and more tangible and less produced. I mean, I think that's fair. I just find myself gravitating towards things like that are in the same vein, but like catastrophe. Like that's Mm. funnier to me than this type of a show and they're similar in some ways but they're also a little less self-important I think that's where I'm getting at yeah that's fair is there something for you about having like a dual lead versus a single lead um yeah I think that can help like I like that dynamic a little bit more like the same as you're the worst that's always that fits in that same category I think there's just a little bit more to talk about and I'm also like here for the romantic comedy side of things and sometimes these lack that so that's just my problem but (laughs) well and on the flip side I am so not here for romantic comedy I'm way more here for like friendship stories and that's you know an issue that I have with my own value system and feelings about romance I also think like in this case with Insecure I liked her friend a lot more than I liked her really Yeah. Do you think that's just because we saw less of her friend and in this particular episode, her friend was being victimized by her shitty behavior? I don't know. I just felt like 
her friend was more fun. Hmm. I don't know. I just, like, that was who I related to the most in a weird way. Mm-hmm. I don't recall all of the specifics of this episode, but that was the takeaway. It was, like, if I wanted to watch it, I would watch it for her. Yeah. The one thing I did write that really fits into your criticism of comedian TV shows about life is um, the note says, I love hate how lady shows are exploring desperation. And the feeling that I had, especially while watching Pilot Palooza, where we were stacking up all of these shows, um, particularly with female writers, is it feels to me like there's very much thing in women's comedy right now about romantic desperation. And that's a thing that I'm not down with in real life. It's not a conversation I like having with my friends. It's not a thing that I really have time for in my fiction. Um, So I think it's interesting that it's such a recurring thing for female comedians and that we're seeing it like played out so much through all the characters and girls. We're seeing it in Insecure. Um, We saw it in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I'm not entirely sure what to do with it, but it's definitely a thing that I'm having feelings about. Interesting. Cool. Do you have anything else to say about Insecure? I don't... I feel like we like got a lot of legs out of this one we did all right so the last show we watched that we'll also have a lot of legs for is jane the virgin this was one that we both threw in the hat there were a couple of duplicates in there this one i think crazy ex-girlfriend and lana were all things that we both wanted to see which was interesting this one we well i can talk about premise real quick the premise is this is basically a telenovela format that they're using in a comedic like over the top way if you can be more over the top than a telenovela to show the story of a girl who gets artificially inseminated by accident by well with this guy that she likes or her manager is that the story yeah he so he's the owner of the hotel that she's a cocktail waitress at um and his sister is her gynecologist so she goes in for you know her regular pap smear or whatever and at the same time this guy's wife Raphael's wife is in the next room waiting to be inseminated. And the gynecologist, who's Raphael's sister, uh, has just gone through a traumatic breakup, so she mixes up the rooms and inseminates Jane instead of giving her a pap smear. And Jane also has this boyfriend who's like a little sad boyfriend, but who's really sweet, named Michael. Um, And he's sort of awkwardly forced into this interesting predicament along with her she also just gotten engaged and also she's a virgin side note yes so the the show actually opens with her grandmother uh they're all devout catholics and the show opens with her grandmother shaming her at like age nine um into remaining a virgin until marriage and so the whole thing for jane which is developed throughout the course of the entire story is that it's always been important to jane to have a perfect life and plan everything out perfectly and do everything exactly right and part of that for her is to be a virgin you find out later that she was raised by a single mother and the one of her greatest fears in life is to raise her child in what she perceives to be a broken home right so this show like you talked about before has a lot of like fun things with color and it's very light i wrote i'm surprisingly here for this and it's so much fun it is so much fun um there's a lot that gets thrown at you and they just kind of like you have to be on board or get out basically this is a show that is not interested in having a conversation with the audience about suspended disbelief this show is like you are in you are fucking out make up your mind because this is what we're doing one of my favorite things about this show is the narrator yes um they have like a telenovela narrator who basically sets everything up for you or provides like hilarious commentary it's great and that really helped to like tell me what the show is going to be like and i think they use it really strategically and it's great let me say great two more times (laughs) it's so great that it's really great and i just think it's great how great it is right uh so this show um full disclosure which you know we'll talk about later but i have continued to watch the show i'm further ahead than kelsey is And this show has been such a gift to me in my life. And I think everything that it does is wonderful and complex. And it's really tackling some big shit that so many other art forms are terrified of, even when they do try to tackle it. So um, I also don't usually relate to media. I'm a little dead inside in that regard. And this show has tapped into a lot of experiences for me, which is really odd um, because on the surface, it doesn't seem like I should relate. Are you a artificially inseminated virgin? I am. I am. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah I forgot to tell you, I'm pregnant with... No, that's weird. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. That never happened. <laughs> but no, there's like... Um, you know, she lives with her mom and her grandmother, which is the family cluster I was raised in. So like right there, you know, there's some surface level feelings that I have, but they do a really shocking job of exploring what that's like. So growing up in an unconventional family, um, questions and thoughts that you have throughout your childhood when you grow up in an unconventional family, it gets really deep into all the complexities of her relationship with her mother, her relationship with her grandmother, her mother's relationship with her, like, you know, break it down into all the combinations, um, the effect that that complexity has on relationships with other people. I think I mentioned this in one of the shows earlier, but I'm also just here for exploring relationships, particularly like friendship dynamics, which I think you see a lot of even in her relationship with her mother and her grandmother, because she's an adult now and she's trying to be friends with them. But it's complicated being friends with your family. And plus she's pregnant. So that's also complicated. Right. So I think Kersey said she's watched a lot more of this. I have as well, not as much as her, but something about this show that I hardly ever find is I'm finding it really hard to binge it. It's like exhausting to keep up with it's really fast paced and if you look away for like five seconds you miss some sort of like over the top dramatic thing that just happened well and they're using a lot of different parts of the screen so you know anytime someone's texting they have like the little text window up on the side i have a note about that too yeah that i think at least three of the shows we watched in pilot palooza had text messages appearing on the screen what i want to know is if house of cards started that or if house of cards stole it and popularized it but i somehow think house of cards is to blame i agree um, so they do that. The narrator, uh, you find out later that it's the narrator who's doing the typing, but little words get typed across the screen a lot. So it'll either be like, you know, a note with an asterisk, almost as if they're pulling it from the script. Um, there will be timestamps. There will be identifiers of who random characters on screen are and what their relation is to other people. The narrator is basically the same as Ron Howard in Arrested Development, which is probably why I love it. Probably. There's actually, we can talk about this in a later episode, but there are a shocking amount of parallels between Jane the Virgin and Arrested Development. And I, my brain can't fully comprehend why that is possible, but it is. I really want to watch more now that you're saying that. One thing I will say to your point about it being exhausting is in season one, I felt the same way. I could only watch one or two episodes at a time. In season two, I crave it. Like I usually watch three to four episodes at a time. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. So that was Jane the Virgin. Do you want to go through our rankings or do we feel like we've ranked? Uh, let's do one final run through of our rankings and, you know, final update as to where we're at two months later all right i will go first um i'm just making sure they're in the right order my ranking from one being what i want to watch immediately to what i could probably leave and never watch again is great british bake-off chain the virgin atlanta happy endings crazy ex-girlfriend and insecure cool so i'm gonna qualify straight off that my ranking isn't necessarily a reflection of how I felt about the quality of the show or how much I enjoyed it. Um, some of it was political and some of it was just because like I had to put them in an order of some kind. So first is Great British Bake Off. Um, the show has been a goddamn gift and I thank the Lord above for it all the time. Jane the Virgin, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Insecure, Atlanta, and happy endings. And what I'll qualify is I really struggled with how to place Insecure in Atlanta because I I loved them both. I did put Insecure first because of lady comedy. And happy endings is the only one I have no intention of ever touching ever again. See, I feel like there's still something there. Ugh, I would be real hard pressed to touch it again. Sounds like I'm probably gonna watch it someday maybe. Do you want to move into our B segment? segment Woo! yes someday we'll be fancy and we'll have like some kind of transition like if you have more feelings about pilot palooza find us on twitter although incidentally you could find us on twitter you could how could you find us are we at hate watch with us yeah we are so yeah find us there we also have a gmail if you feel like emailing us it's hate watch with us at gmail.com sweet super sweet so yeah b segment time transitional music so we had a three-day weekend together where we didn't leave the couch so at the end of pilot palooza we went straight into season one of great british bake-off and we finished that shit off in 
a day. We also did it with some truly wonderful competitive flair. We created brackets after watching that first episode to rank out the rest of the season and predict who would be on top. Someday when we have a website, we really need to post the pictures because the brackets are a work of art and science. It's true. So to make brackets, in case you were wondering for Great British Bake Off, we recommend having a third party read the list of names and remind you who they are because it's really hard to tell. Yeah, so the key here is that you watch episode one because you need to know who everyone is. And after episode one, you create the bracket. Basically, you can do it by episode. Sometimes there's multiple people voted off per episode. It's very unpredictable, so it helps to have that other person there to help you without spoiling you. So they pull up the Wikipedia page and they give you the list of contestants, the number of episodes for the season, and which episodes have multiple eliminations. And that's bracketing 101. (laughs) So... Do you want to go into your feelings on Great British Bake Off season one? Oh my god, I have so many feelings and every single one of them is like hope and happiness and joy and like, you know, right now is a pretty uncertain time in the world and I feel angry most of the time and a lot of American television is, you know, some kind of angry wish fulfillment so it's either aspirational in a really material way or it's venting some kind of frustration either through violence or satire or some other kind of like pretty unsavory humor. And so what I really appreciate is that the Great British Bake Off feels like this safe bubble in the world where it's like not super tense. It's not super angry. People, even though they're competing, they're not super competitive. The stakes aren't high. You'll learn something. Like, it's basically an excuse to take an hour and look at castles and learn some history and, like, talk about cake. And who doesn't want to talk about cake? And who doesn't want to make fun of British accents? Honestly, I'm, like, the most dead-inside person between the two of us. And this show brings me so much joy and happiness. And it's really uncomfortable, but I love it so much. It definitely opened her empathy valve. More than I'm comfortable with. It's horrible. (laughs) But, you know, if you're going to be vulnerable about something, like being vulnerable about cake feels like a pretty safe thing. It's true. I've also learned about so many types of desserts I didn't know existed. Yeah, as a result of this, I uh, took some time to learn how to make clotted cream um, because I have a dream of making British scones and eating clotted cream. And it's really hard to find clotted cream in the United States. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Look at you go. Yeah, full of wisdom. Thanks to the Great British Bake Off. Um, Another thing that I love, and it's In my notes from Pilot Palooza are Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood, which everyone loves them, of course. But I think what I love, and we were just talking about this today because we're now watching season two, is that Paul Hollywood in particular strikes this incredible balance of knowing when to give you tough love and knowing when to kind of prop you up. So in season two, there's one contestant who he feels really frustrated with because he doesn't feel like he's performing the way he should. And he sort of takes turns being like, you know, get your shit together, kid, and being like, it's okay, do this thing, and you'll be fine. Everyone needs a Paul Hollywood and a Mary Berry in their life. So I wrote, um, in the pilot of season one, I wrote Paul Hollywood equals Honey Badger. (laughs) And that's sort of the edge that I appreciate, because like, yes, he kind of don't care none, but he's also really just here for quality baking and quality competition. It's true. They're also like the most polite and hopeful and positive people you could ever imagine. Like, so I could give them like batter, straight batter that I messed up and they'd be like, but the color is really nice. Yeah, they always try to find something. And even when they're giving really difficult criticism, it's not like Gordon Ramsay. You know, it's not like I'm going to swear at you and be angry at you and tell you that you suck. It's like, you know, you didn't blind bake your quiche crust enough and now it's really soggy and that's disappointing because your filling had promise. It's more like we you're here because we see potential in you and when you don't quite perform, we are just a little disappointed because we think you're really good. Aw, I just love them so much. It just like feels really warm inside. It's like <laughs> a fresh cupcake. It's true. So do you want to talk about maybe your top favorite characters or people, not characters, they're humans. <laughs> And maybe your least favorite? Do you want to go there? Yeah, we can go there. So in my bracket, well, let's let's set some parameters here. Um, so on this show, you'll find that I have a six-month rule. So any content older than six months, I'm not going to worry if I spoil it. 
Um, and you can fully expect me to spoil shit anyway. But for the sake of this conversation, Kelsey, are we uh, revealing our brackets and our winners and losers? Let's... Yeah, what the hell? Okay, okay. So uh, when I picked my bracket, I carried Ed through the end. Ed ended up being my guy. He won for me. He's my fucking hero. Ed was just like a real good dude. Um, he made a ton of progress. I think he was one of the guys who needed the most feedback. And the show doesn't necessarily show you all the feedback that Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry give contestants over the course of the season. But it's implied that there must be like some kind of coaching sessions where they are getting feedback on their baking and learning how to improve their process for next time. And it really felt to me like Ed took that and harnessed it. And that's why he won. On the flip side, I carried Ruth through to the end because she seemed to have her shit together the most. I didn't really fully understand the the value of taking criticism and learning from it that this show has, which I think is really great. But um, she ended up being a finalist, so I feel like I still won. <laughs> it's, it is impressive that after one episode, we did pick the two winners. I picked the ultimate winner because I'm amazing. Um, the one thing that drove me crazy about Ruth straight along is Ruth seemed to know that the judges thought she had skill. And I don't I don't feel like she really grew much over the course of the season. And particularly as she became a finalist, I feel like she did get a little cocky. I feel like there's always one who's a little overqualified. True. We're seeing that right now in season two. And I kind of want to punch her in the face with scones. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't really know where to go from there. My least favorite from season one, because I realized I left that hanging, was Miranda. Oh, me too. Miranda made it to the second to last episode. Um, so she made it way further than I thought she would. What frustrated me about Miranda is straight along, she did these really simplistic things. Like uh, in one of the episodes, she made sugar cookies. Um, the point of the challenge was to make like elaborately decorated cookies. And she made sugar cookies that were in the shape of, like, shoes and purses. She just made sugar cookies with royal icing. Like, to me, you don't go all the way to a competitive baking show that's airing on the BBC to make fucking sugar cookies. The other thing about this being on the BBC, maybe, or just the aesthetic of this show, is that they record, like, one set of B-reel, and that's what they use for the entire season so like we saw this woman playing with her kids in the fucking park every episode that b-roll for her just grinded my gears it was horrible (laughs) they also don't introduce every contestant in every episode so there were a couple contestants who we weren't introduced to until episodes like three um which is just funny to have these people that are kind of on camera and you're like what's your name dude like where'd you come from what what is happening right now it also increases the difficulty in your bracket because it's just like wild cards that you throw in yeah when we were making our bracket for season two there were two contestants that we didn't think we had met in episode one so uh my husband was reading the wikipedia page for us and we had to keep being like wait who's that wait tell me again what's happening (laughs) there was one contestant who we were convinced didn't exist until lauren pulled up the picture for us it's true the other person i feel like we should mention in this little discussion is the person who was voted off first because he melted our hearts and he cried he cried so many times oh my god so this was mark um he's the blue collar bus driver he's a bus driver um he is just this incredibly sweet man you get the sense from the episode that he just is incredibly big-hearted um he talks about how he started baking because he likes to bring baked goods to his fellow bus drivers um And unfortunately, he just didn't do super well in the episode. And I think there's this thing that happens where people are really good at baking at home, but it's different to be an amateur baker than it is to bake competitively, um, particularly in such a controlled environment. And I kind of think it just got to him. Like, I don't think he was well prepared. But there's a part at the very end where they invite all the contestants back and he was there and it was so great oh my god he was so supportive of the finalists and everyone was so happy to see him um like i also get the feeling that even though they only spend weekends together during the filming of the show that like they actually take some time to build relationships with each other it's just so wonderful all the time it's wonderful um his signature bake was a orange marmalade tea cake And it wasn't up to Mary Berry's standards, but I have to say it looked amazing. And so, Mark, if you're out there, you are welcome to send me an orange marmalade tea cake anytime you want. Anytime. Speaking of 
premise or lack thereof on this show at the end you kind of like power through each episode and you're going and you're loving it and then you're like wait there's no price yeah so one thing that's interesting and we kind of thought about it but then we let it go until the end of the episode is they don't tell you what's going to happen at the end of each challenge. They don't stack up what the challenges are going to be for the episode. So they literally walk into the tent. They say, welcome to the Great British Bake Off. It's time for the signature bake. You have two hours, go. And so you're not introduced to the contestants. You're not introduced to the end of the show. You're not introduced to the end of the episode. You're just kind of along for the ride. And as Kelsey said, you get to the end of the season and they win. But there's not like... It's not like they get a cookbook deal automatically. At the end, they do like a where are they now? And the winner was like, he quit his job and he's looking for jobs as a pastry chef. <laughs> like your job, your prize is unemployment. <laughs> I mean, I guess if the notoriety like gives you a marketing boost when you start your own business, then that's something. I guess. Yes. I just think it's incredible. Like even so unlike American reality shows, the bakers don't go live in an apartment for the six months of filming. They just come on the weekends. Um, so it's not as big of a personal sacrifice as reality shows typically are. But even so, it's a pretty big deal to have to give up your weekend for however many weekends you're on the show, plus all the prep time that you're putting in. And I imagine that there's other stuff we're not privy to since we only see what's edited. And so the idea that people just do this, I don't know, for like the love of baking, knowing that there's no real prize in it is incredible to me. I also really appreciate that they don't use their personal stories to make you feel things like there's never the person who's like, oh, I've had a hard life and this is why I deserve this and let me cry on this like talking head. No, there's none of that. And I love that. I hadn't really thought about that. That's because that's basically the entire premise of Chopped is like my dad died. So I'm making this for him now. Um, every once in a while, like if a signature bake is like someone's mom's recipe or whatever, you'll get some of that story or like, you know, I'm from this place. And so I was inspired by whatever. But it's never used as like an angle. No, it's not like I have to win to bring my family honor. I'm just happy that they did that because I hate that so much about reality TV. I think like it ultimately what makes the show successful is how straightforward and in some ways dry it is like it's got that very real like British dryness to it and I think maybe what feels so warm and glowy about it is it's literally like we are here to bake we're not going to ramp up the tension we're not going to make you feel sad feelings about sob stories we are going to bake cake and that creates such a safe space that we just don't have in American reality television. And the biggest atrocity in this world right now is that you can only access the show in the U.S. via these sketchy-ass YouTube recordings mm -hmm. or illegally. I need it in my life legally. I would pay money for it. So, world, if you're listening, find us a way to watch Great British Bake Off. And, you know, maybe invite us to come hang out at a castle the next time it's filming. We're here for the history lesson. We, I will absolutely go with Mel and Sue on a history lesson. Like, if they could take me on the history of scones, I would hella be here for that. You know, I think we're going to have to wrap up our episode and go make some scones now. Was that a smooth transition? That was a really smooth transition. Thank you for bringing us full circle. And thank you for joining us on this first episode of Hate Watch with us. I hope that you were hate listening your whole way through. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time.